All right. So we started into the book of Jude, and um, that was on the previous episode. As I said back there, I want to use that book as a template, or we might say an outline for a lot of weird things in the Bible that I would like to cover with you over the next few months. And yet, already, I need to step back from it for just a moment. I need to lay some groundwork for what I want to talk about next in Jude. So this episode, it's not specifically talking about the book of Jude. The next episode is not really going to specifically talk about the book of Jude. What we have to do is get some things settled before we can get back into Jude. Because Jude is about to lay this verse on us. It's in Jude 6. It says, And the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. So like, what's that all about? The angels, it says, who did not stay within their own position of authority. That's a strange phrase. I'm curious about that. Who are these angels? What was their proper dwelling? And why are they locked up in hell right now? I find all of this to be weird, and I'd like to explore why it's in the Bible. So to figure it out with me, we're going to depart from the second to the last book in the Bible. We're going to go way back in time, all the way to the first book in the Bible. Turn to Genesis 6, and let's get weird. Welcome to Weird Stuff in the Bible, where we explore scripture passages that are bizarre, perplexing, or just plain weird. This is Luke Taylor, and today we're going to be talking about the sons of God. And you probably figured that out already based on this episode title, as well as the intro. And so I think you know what we're going to do. Let's just get on into it. We're going to start our exploration of the sons of God by defining what this term means. There are three groups of people or beings in the Bible, three groups of beings who could be labeled as sons of God. And so in the Old Testament, we meet a group of spiritual beings that are called in Hebrew, Bena Elohim. And that means the sons of God. And I'm going to be hesitant to refer to them as angels, even though it would be accurate to call them angels. The Bible calls them angels. But they are a specific classification of angel or spiritual being. These are a specific classification called the Bena Elohim. And so we're going to be talking about them a lot today throughout this lesson. But for now, I'm just going to say the sons of God in the Old Testament, they are the Bena Elohim. They're a group of spiritual entities, okay? Then in the New Testament, we meet a second type of the sons of God. And there is only one being in this second type. It is the son of God, the second person of the Trinity, Jesus. And so the second person of the Trinity was born unto Mary in the New Testament. He is the one who died for our sins. I'm I'm guessing you've heard of him. He is called the Son of God. And he is not like a brother to these sons of God, these beings in the Old Testament. Jesus is in a category all to himself. Then there is a third group of beings in the New Testament who are called sons of God. And that is Christians, believers, the redeemed. We are called a son of God once you're saved. Even if you're a daughter, you're also called a son of God, because you received the inheritance of sonship. We'd have to go into Galatians to to dig into what that means, but I'm not going to take time to do that today. I'm just saying, if you're a believer, if you're a Christian, you are a son of God, according to the New Testament. So what is it? Like, these are three very different groups of beings. We have the spiritual beings in the Old Testament, angels, who are the sons of God. We have Jesus, 
And then we have you and me. I hope, I hope you, I hope you're a Christian. You are called a son of God as well when you get saved. So what is it that ties all these groups together? These are very distinct groups. What is it that makes us all, though, receive this label of being called a son of God? Well, here's what ties it all together. To be a son of God is to be a direct creation of God. And that is the key characteristic, the defining characteristic of what it means. So let me say that one more time. To be a son of God is to be a direct creation of God. So the spiritual beings who were called Benah Elohim in the Old Testament, those were beings who were directly created by God. They weren't created by another angel. They weren't created by Satan. There's not anything like that. They, these were direct creations of God. So they are called, these angels in the Old Testament, they're called the sons of God. Then in the New Testament, we have Jesus who was a son of God. Now, how could it be say that Jesus was a direct creation of God? That almost sounds heretical, right? Because Jesus has always existed. He's existed from time immemorial. How could Jesus be said to be a son of God? Well, I believe the Bible uses that phrase to refer to the miraculous conception of Jesus within Mary's womb. Okay, so yes, Jesus is God. He has always existed. He's an eternal being. But in his existence on earth, he was supernaturally implanted within Mary's womb as a miraculous conception. Okay, there was no human seed that was implanted within Mary, as in the way every other human being has been born in history. Okay, it, can't see, it cannot be said that there was a human father who created Jesus. So Jesus was a direct creation of God. And I believe that's why the Bible calls him the Son of God, why the second person of the Trinity is revealed as the Son. It's because of that, because of that moment in time where he broke into our world and how he did it. Now, we could also say there's a fourth category of being who was called a son of God in the Bible. That was Adam, the first man, because he was a direct creation of God. And the Bible does refer to him as a son of God. I didn't bring him up earlier because he was never called a son of God in the Old Testament, but the New Testament does use that phrase to describe him. That's in the genealogy of Jesus in Luke 3. So if you want to, you can count Adam as well. But that, that's what the first Adam and the second Adam, meaning Adam and Jesus, what they have in common is that they were both direct creations of God. So they're both called sons of God. That's what it means to be a son of God, is to be a direct creation of God. Now, let's talk about that last group, though, you and me, okay? You and I are said to be sons of God in the Bible once we get saved. So how is it that we could be a son of God? You're saying, I have an earthly mother, an earthly father. How could I be called a son of God? First John 3, 1, Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called sons of God. We are sons of God. Now, again, this is a little confusing because unlike Jesus, we were not directly created by God. We all have a human mother and a human father, something that all of us have in common. Okay, whether you're the president of the United States, an Oscar-winning actor, a child living in the slums of India, everybody all came into existence when the sperm met the egg. So how could you or I be said to be a direct creation of God? The reason is because the Bible also says that whenever you get saved, when you become a Christian, you are a new creation in God. 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. So, you and I are sons of God. Now, let's get back into talking about the sons of God in the Old Testament, okay? Because I think it's pretty clear in all the other ways 
We understand how Jesus was the Son of God. We understand how Christians can be called sons of God. But then what about these angelic or spiritual beings that we read about in the Old Testament, the Bena Elohim? What are they all about? You might have never heard of this group of, of individuals before. Well, again, don't let the word angel fool you. Many of these are what we might rather call fallen angels, okay? The first place that we see the sons of God show up in the Bible is early in Genesis 6. And that's when it talks about what the world was like right before the flood of Noah. So Genesis 6 verses 1 and 2. I know I said at the beginning, turn to Genesis 6. Okay, we're finally getting into it. It says in Genesis 6, when man began to multiply on the face of the land and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of man were attractive and they took as their wives any they chose. Okay, so this is getting weird. This is getting weird really quick. All right, uh, we need to walk through this one phrase at a time. Because the Bible here is saying exactly what it sounds like it's saying. There are some who don't accept this. They, or they try to say that the sons of God, that it's referring to the various kings in the world. Or they'll say that the sons of God are the descendants of Adam's, uh, of Adam's son, Seth, in the early world. And I'm going to prove that that's not the case. I'll keep this really simple. Because I don't think this is actually a complicated issue. The book of Job contains a lot of information about the creation of the world. And God says this at, towards the end of the book as he's speaking to Job. He says in Job 38 verses 4 through 7, Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? So right here, as God is saying this, he has oriented us at a point in time. It says when he laid the foundation of the earth. Okay, this is Genesis 1 right here. He's saying, Job, you were not here whenever I created all this stuff and I set things in motion. So God has gone all the way back here to the first day of creation. He says, tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurement? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? On what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. So he says there, the morning stars, the sons of God. These are phrases for angels or spiritual beings. It's saying here that the morning stars and the sons of God, which I think that's basically referring to the same thing. They were praising God because that's how the Hebrew parallelism works. You know, when you read Hebrew poetry, it'll say the same thing in two different ways. So I believe it's talking here about how the sun, it says the sons of God, they were praising God and shouting for joy as he laid the foundations of the earth. Now, however you read Genesis 1, I think we can all agree humans were not created yet at the time that God laid the foundations of the earth, that he created the world. Okay, there are days of creation and the, the humans came along several days later. Not that first day when God first, you know, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. We've gone all the way back to the beginning of time here. And yet it says, as God laid the foundations of the earth, the sons of God shouted for joy. Clearly, the sons of God cannot be humans. Okay, and, and there's other places in the Old Testament we could go that to prove this. But I kind of think it's settled just right there. <laughs> All right, the sons of God are not humans. These are angels or spiritual beings. All right, and I would not describe them as your just typical run-of-the-mill blue-collar angel. All right, these are a particular special type of angel that were put in charge of certain sectors of the world. They are assigned to particular territories. So that's why Jude 6 is going to say about them, the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling. Some versions will say 
that they left their domain. All right. It's the territory that they were assigned to on planet Earth. And they left that domain to come down from from the heavenlies, from the skies, from from up above. They left that domain to come down. And it says they married human women. That is what Genesis 6 verses 1 and 2 say. When man began to multiply on the face of the land and the daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of man were attractive and they took as their wives any they chose. So we're going to revisit this before we close down today. Some will try to, you know, this doesn't make sense that spiritual beings would come down and cohabitate and marry human women. So people try to come up with alternative explanations for this because it because it's too weird, right? <laughs> Some try to say that the sons of God were just human rulers or they, they were of the line of Seth. And they have this idea that the sons of God were the godly men and the, and the daughters of man were the ungodly women. And that that's what this is talking about here. There's some problems with that idea. Okay, number one, there's no textual reason in the Old Testament to identify the sons of God that way. It's obvious that they are supernatural beings because that's what they are when you read about them everywhere else in the Old Testament. As we just looked at in the book of Job, the sons of God were were angelic beings because only they would have been around when God laid the foundations of the earth. Number two, even in these verses, it's making it clear here that they are not men. Because it said that they took daughters of men, okay? The sons of God took daughters of men. It's making a distinction right here between the species of man and the species of the sons of God. They are not the same type of being. And then three, and we're going to talk about this in the next lesson, we're going to see that they produced inhuman or almost like mutant offspring, okay? So this is giving further evidence right here that the sons of God are something that is not human themselves. Because if it was just humans marrying humans, why are the kids these, these mutant freaks we're going to read about as we go on? <laughs> so we'll, we'll get into that more next time. But um, I'm just explaining here why the sons of God, why it does not make sense to read them as some type of, you know, the kings of the earth or something like that. It doesn't make logical sense within the text itself. And I get it. There's a big problem also with, with my theory or my explanation that the sons of God are angels. There's a big problem with that. It's weird. <laughs> it's, 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 it's really strange. How could angels come down and take a physical body and marry women? That is very strange to us, okay? Especially as we get more into what we're going to talk about next time. It's going to get very, very strange. And I agree, it's weird. But if you believe the Bible, you kind of have to believe that this happened. I'm not, I'm not trying to sound mean right there. But I kind of look at Genesis 6. This is like the litmus test to me of how much somebody is willing to believe the Bible and just take it at its word. I, I say, well, what do you think Genesis 6 is saying? Because it plainly says right here, as clear as could possibly be, that these spirits came down, they took human women, and they married them. So I think the big question for you, if you read that right there in your own Bible, will you believe that? And, and hey, if all this is new to you, if this is all like you haven't heard this before, you're probably wondering right here, wait a second, why haven't I ever heard of this before? <laughs> the truth is, this historical event that I'm talking about right here, as the, you're thinking, is this just like in some strange verse and we don't really understand what it means and then we kind of forget about it after this? No, this event is referenced all through the Bible. This is going to be brought up several times. All right. It just, this is when it happened right here before the flood in Genesis 6. 
this is when it happened. It's brought up a lot throughout the Bible. And so once you accept it, it's actually going to answer a lot of questions going forward about other strange things that we see show up in Scripture. Okay, to reference Jude 6 again, let me read it here. It says, And the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. So we talked about the angels who didn't stay where they were supposed to. And then it says, these angels are chained up down in gloomy darkness. Okay. And we're going to study later on this podcast. It's talking about a place called Tartarus. That is the lowest part of hell. All right. And the angels who did this thing in Genesis 6, it says that they were specifically locked away. Why were they locked away? That is what we're going to discuss next time on this podcast. Okay. So make sure you come back for the next episode. One more question I do want to answer today. Are the sons of God good spirits or are they bad spirits? Okay, you know, it sounds like, well, they're sons of God. So doesn't that mean they're good? But then they did something here that's really strange and they got locked away for it. So maybe they're bad, but they're called angels. So aren't angels good? And isn't the demons the ones who are bad? Well, this is again why I don't care for the word angel to describe. Again, the the Bible uses it. And we'll talk about that in just a minute, why the Bible is using the word angel. But probably how you or I would define them is fallen angel. Okay. Um, these are these are spirits who rebelled against God. So are they good or are they bad? Are they good spirits or bad spirits? The answer is that they were all good until they went bad, until they rebelled against God. And so the you know, Christians kind of have what I'm gonna say is an, a simplistic view of angels and demons, where we and it's okay that we but but we, we like to say that Satan got one-third of the angels to rebel against God with him back when Satan was cast out of heaven. And that is technically true. I don't have a problem with that interpretation. But what people don't realize is that the entire angelic rebellion, it did not all happen at once. There were actually multiple rebellions by the angels. Satan was the first rebel, okay? And I I think he was just cast out of heaven by himself. And over time, more angels rebelled in the years following, okay? Some of them rebelled hundreds of years later, talking about this event right here, in the years before the flood, that they saw the human women, they lusted after them, and they took them as wives. This was not something that they were supposed to do. So this was a rebellion. And then there's going to be some who rebel later at the Tower of Babel incident. So we're going to talk about those things, those various rebellions, in future episodes of the podcast. I'm just kind of making the point here There wasn't just one rebellion and one third of the angels all left at once. This was actually something that happened in stages. And so um, I will come back to this idea, though, of why we're calling them angels in this lesson, why the New Testament calls them angels. I want to talk about vocabulary and linguistics and some of the stuff, how language changes over time. So we'll be back to, to end on that note in just a moment. want to get to a mailbag response that we had this past week. It's actually been a couple weeks because um, I didn't do an episode last week because it was the week of Thanksgiving. And so I thought, well, I could put this out. I think this is really important foundational stuff that I'm going to be building on in future episodes. So I really just didn't want to stick it out the day before Thanksgiving and have people like be too busy and miss it. 
So I held off on this episode for a week. Anyway, anyway, we had a mailbag response from the last one from Natalie. She says, thanks for your introduction to this chapter of the Bible. I hadn't studied it in depth before, and I am really looking forward to reading it again in depth. And hey, Natalie, that is exactly what we're going to do. So next time on this podcast, we're going to continue, as I just said, we're going to build on what I read in Genesis 6, 1 and 2. We're going to look at the next two verses of Genesis 6. We're going to be talking about a second group of beings who are discussed right there, and they are called the Nephilim. And so everybody who's listening, make sure you're subscribed so you can get that next lesson because it's going to build on what we've been talking about today. If you got any questions or just have some other weird stuff in the Bible you want to hear about, my email is weirdstuffinthebible at gmail.com. So as we close today, I just want to mention something about vocabulary and, and why it's hard whenever we talk about things like the sons of God. We like to think in categories, all right? In our minds, we just want to simplify things down to basics as, as well as we can, especially whenever we're talking about mysterious things like today when we're talking about things in the spiritual realm, spiritual beings. And so we want to classify them into simple little categories like angel or demon. The reality is, the spiritual reality, is actually a lot more complicated than, th than that. Yes, and these are biblical categories, angels and demons. There are good spiritual beings and bad spiritual beings. But if you look at the original Hebrew, there's lots of different types of good beings. There's the Bana Elohim, there's the cherubim, there's the seraphim, there are the watchers, um, there are the Elohim that we talked about in episode three, there are the principalities that we talked about in episode two, there are the regular angels whose job is just to deliver messages. There's this one specific angel called the angel of the Lord. So there's lots of categories. And yet, we just because it's mysterious to us, we have a tendency to try to lump all of them into simple categories. We'll just call them all angels or just call them demons. And so um, part of the reasoning behind that is because that's kind of what the Greek language does. Okay, the Greek language, which is what the New Testament was written in, it is not as specific as the Hebrew whenever it comes to spiritual beings. And so we, we tend to rely more on the New Testament more than the Old Testament. So that's just part of it. We've kind of adopted these less specific terms. And I could go through examples of this. I think I've kind of laid enough on you for today. So, so for now, I'm going to just stick to saying sons of God because I want to just try to be as accurate as I can in my terminology whenever we talk about something that, that the Bible is also very clear on. All right. So yes, New Testament calls them angels, but that's just kind of a broad word. If we want to talk about what specific group of angels it's talking about in Genesis 6, 1 and 2, it's talking about the sons of God. Okay. So that's why I'm not just going to be like, oh, well, that was just angels or those were just fallen angels. Whenever we do that, we kind of do ourselves a disservice when we just call them angels, because what we're doing is we're substituting a general term for a specific term. And whenever we do that, it's kind of like, who are we benefiting? Who are we helping whenever we do that? You know, I think let's be vague when the Bible is vague. We'll let it be mysterious when the Bible leaves something mysterious. But let's also be specific where the Bible is specific. So I'm going to try to use the word sons of God going forward on this podcast. So we've talked about here today, what is going on in verses one and two in Genesis, in Genesis. Okay. Actually, let's read it again so far. Now that we have all of our definitions, our terms have been defined, okay, for verses one and two, let's read that again. And then I will read the next couple of verses, and that will tease where we're going to go next time. So Genesis six, verses one through four, 
when man began to multiply on the face of the land and the daughter and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of man were attractive and they took as their wives any they chose. Then the Lord said, my spirit shall not abide in man forever, for he is flesh. His day shall be 120 years. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days and also afterward when the sons of God came into the daughters of man and they bore children to them. These were the mighty men who were of old, the men of renown. Okay, so that passage right there, that is one that you've probably read countless times, okay? And yet, perhaps you've never really kind of stopped on those words and and really took time to understand them. Maybe you just kind of, you know, you read this, you're like, I'm not sure what it means. So you just kind of keep on reading. You go on to the rest of the chapter. You read about the flood. That's what a normal, well-adjusted Bible reader will do. But we are not normal, well-adjusted Bible readers on this podcast. We are leaning into the weird, and we're not done yet. So what I've shared with you today, this might be all new information to you, but I'll tell you what, to the ancient Jews, to the writers of the Bible, this was common knowledge. This was as much a part of their culture and their history as the Revolutionary War or the sinking of the Titanic is to us. It was not weird to them. And the Bible is not weird. We are weird. Because we didn't know about this historical event of the sons of God who came down to the earth and married human women. But now we do. Thanks for listening. God bless you for sticking around till the end. And we'll see you next time. Mm -hmm.